Good morning, everyone. I'd like to thank Alison for giving me a new idea for staff meetings. <laughs> 20 minutes of planking tomorrow, first thing. <laughs> Father, whatever pains of the day we face, including planking, would you give us the joy of Jesus in our hearts? And as we study your word now and reflect on our world, may you help us make meaningful connections and to see what you are doing in our world, that we may be your people and you may be our God. Amen. So we're finishing today this series of Christian Life and uh, Today's World, where we began by reflecting on what kind of idols in the world we are shaped by, by our culture, maybe that we don't even know or are aware that they're having an effect on us. We, we began by considering uh, consumer culture and uh, how it shapes the answer to the question, or our answer to the question, who am I? And then we looked at, uh, uh, sorry, celebrity culture, and then it was uh, consumer culture, which affected uh, the way we think about stuff and ourselves and our sense of worth that we get from our stuff. And then two weeks ago, we thought about technological progress, if you remember that, and uh, the effect that it has on our ideas about being saved and that we can save ourselves and so on. And each time, of course, as we went through those uh, idols and reflected on them in the light of the gospel, we came back to Jesus. He is the answer to those basic and fundamental questions of life. It's in him that we find out who we are and what we're worth and that we can't save ourselves, but that he does it for us. And yet... To say that Jesus is the answer to those fundamental questions of life is a statement that is open to question. In today's world, to make a claim that, uh, that exclude other ways of believing, it's considered to be fundamental or even uh, extremist. Because, you see, today, truth is not what it used to be. So, when I was, four, uh, when I was at school, when you who are over the age of 40 were at school, certainly when Bill was at school, we were taught by, uh, by means of the teacher giving us the answers to the questions that would come later. Yes? That's what we were taught. And, uh, and we were given lots of facts and lots of things that we could learn by rote and memorise. And our teachers were considered to be the ones who knew. They were the most important and they were in authority. And we looked up to them and we listened to them uh, so that we might learn from what they had to say. But my children... On the other hand, and you who are under the age of 40 were not taught like that. People of that age have been taught 
to question everything the teacher tells them. They're told to work out the answers for themselves. And what's more, they're told that there are no right answers, only the answers that they come up for, or come up with for themselves. And yet, you see, it's not like arguing that uh, the, the difference between a six or a nine, depending on where you're standing. Truth is far more complicated than that. Truth now, instead of being out there, something that was objectively true, has become in here. And so today's world talks of alternative facts. It talks of false news. And you can use those things to discredit the people who say things differently to you, any opposition. Or you use those things to propagate and change popular opinion. So it doesn't actually matter if it's true, objectively true anymore. What matters is what is believed. We can invent a whole new story that makes the thing true, whether it happened or not. Is it believed? Can we get them to believe it? And the White House and the Kremlin and probably our own government as the Facebook and Cambridge intelligentsia thing and today, isn't it just today, the... uh, the vote leave, be leave issues, they're all at it, shaping what we believe. So in these days, in these days, truth is so in here that it's becoming detached from any kind of physical reality in the world around us. 20 years ago, we used to be concerned about male-to-male, female-to-female sexual attraction. And then 10 years ago, we were concerned about women who were having the operation to become men and men having the operation to become women. Well, now, without any reference to my physicality, I can self-assign myself as a woman. And the world will accommodate me, has to accommodate me, according to that. In fact, I can self-assign myself a man this morning and a woman this afternoon and be a woman tomorrow morning and a man tomorrow afternoon. And the world will have to accommodate that truth. Now, that's not to say that that's right or wrong, but it is how the world is thinking. See, four really does look like three to the new generation. And the thing is that this change in understanding about truth in today's world has come about in our times. It's in our generation that this philosophical, psychological understanding of truth has changed. Some of us were brought up believing in the objective out there truth. And others of us 
were brought up believing in the subject in here truth. Perhaps it began about the end of the Second World War, where there was a loss of hope in the technological progress that we talked about a fortnight ago that meant that the truth we had been told by our betters might not be true at all. So truth became relative. Relativism is the idea that uh, different sets of people could believe different truths. So some people thought, like I was taught when I was young, that the atomic bomb at the end of the Second World War was such a good thing because it shortened the length of the world, length of the world war and saved so many lives. And it was about, I think it was about the time that we went to war with the Argentines in 1982-83 that I, I discovered, it was like an epiphany, that there were people who thought completely differently about the atomic bomb when I was 22 or 3 that it was a bad thing because it killed so many innocent people. Now, when you apply that kind of relativism to God, it gives rise to a, a pluralism that whatever is believed is equally valid. Whatever someone else believes is as equally valid as what I might believe. And so you mustn't make any claims about absolute truth here. Whatever's true for you is true for you, even if I believe a completely different truth. And so, famously, Monty Python, in their film The Life of Brian, having perceived the mood of the time, 1978, perceiving the mood of the sign, sum it up in this moment where the people are gathered to proclaim Brian as their Messiah. Let's just see.
get Palm Sunday into my talk somehow. (laughs) They see people of the church as one homogenous group of unthinking people wanting the next bit of wisdom to drip from their leader's lips. Tell us more, the crowd cry out. And there's a great deafness, isn't there, in the irony of that film. The one man who thought he wasn't different was the only one who was. How wonderful was that? The liturgy of the church was was turned into a means of sucking up to the person in charge, be it God or Brian's mother. And their verdict on the whole thing is that it's a pantomime. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Their point being, of course, that as an individual, you shouldn't let anybody, not anybody, tell you what's true. You have to work it out for yourself. And the thing that, of today's world is that it'll tell you that truth is relative. We, can't, we, we can believe what we want. And pluralism tells you that you can't claim that your truth is any better than somebody else's truth. So what do we do with these great statements of faith that we have learned and grown up with many of us from the Bible? Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only Lord. One faith, one baptism, one Lord, asserting those things that are now considered just as offensive to the world as the life of Brian was in its day, considered offensive to some Christians. Well, the ambiguity of Palm Sunday notwithstanding, Jesus in, Palm, uh, in chapter 14 of John's Gospel faces his own crucifixion, the most ambiguous event in all of history. The Jews see it as proof that he wasn't the Messiah and the Muslims uh, deny that it ever happened so that they can deny the resurrection. And in the face of all of that kind of other truth, Jesus says, don't stop believing. Don't let your hearts be troubled, he said. Trust in God, trust also in me. If something's true, then it's always true, no matter what other people say. And that's a a basic fundamental to our spiritual life, to our Christian faith. But it leads us, perhaps, into two opposite and most dangerous directions. On one line, we become hardline and dogmatic about what's to be believed. Certain things become the test of whether someone is a true and acceptable Christian or not. And people who believe different things are seen as the enemy. On the other hand, the other opinion is that there's so much concern for the well-being of other people who are different that questions about belief become secondary to belonging. And in this case, anyone who believes too strongly is seen as a threat. And when St. Paul wrote his letters, they contained many strong statements of faith. And he was grappling with a world that had many beliefs. And because he was traveling around the Roman world, proclaiming the gospel as a truth, 
he kept encountering difficulties all the time. And sometimes he appeared to be seeing everybody else as the enemy. So he writes in the Timothy reading, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared by a hot iron. Well, that's pretty strong stuff. And yet, on the other hand, he talks in another place about, to the Jews I become a Jew, and to those who have no law I become like one not having a law. I've become all things to all people in order by all possible means some might be saved. As if he would adopt any position if it helped him be in contact with somebody. And the thing with St. Paul is that he could speak like this because for him, the gospel was the only thing by which fullness of life and the salvation of the soul could be truly known. But also, the gospel is all-inclusive, all-embracing uh, of anybody who will accept it. It's both exclusive in that no other gospel will do. And it's inclusive, completely inclusive at the same time. Everybody is free to be saved if they want to be. It's the only way. But it's the way that everybody can find. And it seems to me that this is what Jesus is kind of saying in John 14, but it comes the other way round. He says, in my father's house, there's many rooms. There's a space for you. No one is going to be shut out of my father's kingdom. And it's a space that's prepared by Jesus himself. If it were not so, would I tell you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And then he goes on to say that you can be completely secure in that place that he has prepared for you. And everybody else can be secure in it too. I will come and take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may be also. There you are. A space for you. A space for everybody in which to be secure. And yet... There's something very particular about it too, isn't there? When Thomas says he doesn't know the way to get there, Jesus says a remarkable thing. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive statement. No one, not anyone, gets to God without Jesus. And it's necessarily true, isn't it? The point being that if there was any other way, any other way of finding the fullness of life or being secure for eternity with God, he would not have needed to send Jesus to endure the horrors of this week and to die in the way he does. There can't be another way because Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And if we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need him. 
And this is what Christians know is true. But if we are to engage with the world that sees no need for real and absolute and objective truth, then just saying it doesn't work. It's no good saying it says it in the Bible. Because do you know what? When I was a non-Christian, I said, so what? People of our world, for them the question is no longer, is it true? The question people are asking is, does it work? We live in a red-button interactive world. Can I get involved? And does it work for me? They're not looking for authority. The whole Brexit vote and Donald Trump tell us that. The loss of the young people from our church tell us they're not listening to authority. But they look for authenticity. Is it something that makes a difference in life? Can I see it in your life? Is it going to make a difference in my life? And so if we are to engage with today's world, the things of Christian belief more than ever have to show that it makes a difference to us. That as we come and as we go from church, we are different people as a consequence. To be people living intentionally Christian lives. Giving ourselves not just in worship on a Sunday, but intentionally to the kingdom of God this time tomorrow. And on Tuesday. Monday through to Saturday, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families, amongst our friends, with our neighbours. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And truth is not in a statement. It's a way of life. The way, the way is how the truth is the foundation of our relationship with Jesus, day by day. In, in chapter 8 of John's Gospel, verse 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says, If you hold on to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What a great verse. The very thing that Monty Python is telling us to be is offered right there. Free. Freedom. But I think we read that statement, the truth will set you free, and what goes on in here is, ah, the truth will make me right. Not make me free, but make me right. And I want to prove myself by argument. But the truth Jesus brings sets us free to really live. So the life is to be free to live, without guilt or condemnation, free to forgive, free to love. We have that song, don't we? Free to be who he has created us to be. And if we can do that, then the quality of our lives will begin to shine through and others 
will see it. Others who don't yet know that truth will perceive a quality. And that means that then that we'll begin to live our Christian lives inspirationally. In the way that Jesus was both inspired and inspiring. We need the inspiration of God to live the Christian life. But as we receive his inspiration, we'll also be inspiring to those who we meet. And that means then that we can be confidently invitational about our Christian lives when we are free enough to live our own life with Jesus and free enough to let those who don't yet know him live theirs, we know we have something better to invite them to. Not so that we can be proved right in having the truth, but so that the truth of Jesus Christ may set them free also. See, there's a lie in this business of relative truth. The lie and I remember the moment I realised this lie. It was another epiphany moment where it was just as clear as day that there is nothing neutral about relative truth. That it has no opinion or effect. That if we say everybody's belief is the same, then we are neutral in it. That is a lie, sisters and brothers. Because we're all biased. The self-defeating thing of Monty Pythons don't let anybody tell you what to do is that you have to have someone to tell you don't let anyone tell you what to do. We're all biased. So let's be biased for the truth. Christian life in today's world, the who are you, the what are you worth, the how can you be saved, and the what does it all mean. The answer in each is found in Jesus. And in him, we avoid the idols of our day.